and welcome to season two of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. In this season, we're focusing on the fundamentals of financing your recruitment business, including the questions commonly asked and the different scenarios you and your business may find yourself in. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to this third episode in season two of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Alison Humphreys and I'm joined again today by Nick Russell. Nick, hello. Good morning. Uh, Nick is Commercial Sales Director of Sonovate and this episode is geared at uh, more substantial recruitment businesses who may be a little bit further along their development curve. So it might be that you've got more than 50 heads. Um, Some of the listeners may even be directors or owners of businesses who might have a business event um, in their sites, by which I mean an exit, an MBO, a trade sale, for example. Um, Nick, if we can start there, um, I encounter a lot of surprisingly large businesses who in fact are wildly non-compliant and they don't even know. Um, a lot of that is around the compliance involved in their contractor workforce or temporary workforce, um, but not exclusively. And it can be a really big issue once you get involved in, in due diligence, for example, but also has a, an impact on financing. So what have you come across in terms of uh, problems with larger businesses when you get involved in the financing discussion? I think, firstly, the reason why it happens, and I concur with you that it it definitely does happen, is that recruitment companies can scale and grow very, very quickly, Mm -hmm. um, especially contract ones uh, from a turnover perspective because the contractor's cost of sale, obviously, is within that invoice. Um, And in some of the sexy sectors like, you know, AI and cybersecurity and and the IT and tech-related worlds, Obviously, there can be really, really high day rates and really, really juicy margins that mean that a contract company can very quickly go from, you know, a handful of runners to 40, 50, 60 without even knowing and and beyond. Um, And by virtue of the fact that both the consultants and often the business owners of a recruitment company who will have been consultants somewhere in a previous life are, in essence, salespeople who are turned on by growth and, and, and bottom line. I think they often um, fail to comply or to check that their contracts are watertight, are robust, are up to date, mm. or are even in use. Um, mm. For example, at Sonovate, um, on both our, our um, micro company product, but also our um, capital product, which is designed for the larger, more sophisticated companies who just want funding in essence. Um, 
we do stipulate that we see their contracts um, because you know it's a legally binding piece of engagement with with their client. If you bought a house from somebody, um, you would have a contract, wouldn't you, mm-hmm. um, to ensure that you you then own that house. So, from a funding perspective, in answer to your question, it can cause disputes. Mm-hmm. So, like you said before, um, it's never a problem until it's a problem. The problem actually gets bigger and bigger behind the scenes as you grow because if mm. you've got a handful of contractors out, it's a smaller problem than a hundred contractors out with one client if mm. a problem arises. And if there is a dispute and your terms aren't relevant, up to date, protect you, um, or aren't in a, if they're not in existence as well, mm. then in theory they don't have to pay. Yeah. In fact, so just thinking about one company that I worked with last year. Um, they had uh, in the regions of about 50 contractors out working with a, a you know a household name end client and they had assumed that as their household name client hadn't asked them any questions about their compliance that there wasn't a problem um, now when I identified that you know they were on very tricky ground as far as getting paid was concerned if there was a dispute um, they felt a bit hamstrung because in order to put it right, they would have to go and um, replace all the contracts with the workers and with the client yeah. that governed those assignments. And that would mean, very public, in a very public way, saying to the client, um, we, we're vulnerable, we got it wrong, we, and de facto, we didn't know what we were doing. So they went through a kind of embarrassing process um, to put things right it all worked out eventually okay um, but it could have been you know a less scrupulous client could have been really willing to take advantage of that scenario have you had anything like that happen uh, yes we, we, we have because um, when conducting the credit control there's things like we asked for for the purchase um, order numbers etc mm. um, and we also say as, as good housekeeping before you engage with any client or contractor mm. ensure that you've got an applicable contract in place and that, and that you understand it mm-hmm. so from a credit control perspective when we've had clients who are disputing payment for whatever reason that may be um, you know the worker hasn't got a signed timesheet etc in essence it's all backed up by the contract and we have had it where you know clients have threatened not executed but threatened that they don't have to legally pay. Now, mm. they often do because clearly the contractors will be taken off site if they didn't pay and they need those contractors. So there is a kind of mutual understanding. But from a legal perspective, yeah, it's quite worrying. Sonovate, for example, um, stipulate that we have to see your contracts or you can use our own um, contracts as well, which obviously we've had um, written up by our by our lawyers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an area of concern that... A lot of agencies don't don't um, check that regularly. Yeah. Now, for any of our listeners who didn't hear um, the last episode, Nick, you made a really good point about the increasing prevalence of purchase order systems and the, the need to get that purchase order number right at the outset of an assignment or a permanent contract. Um, credit referencing. Um, and we also touched on how valuable it can be to use good templates, for example, to make sure that when you're placing contractors that you uh, are asking the right questions to find out if the assignment is inside or outside IR35. So anyone who's interested in knowing more about that, please go back and and listen to episode two. But we're talking about, we're not just talking about admin here, are we? We're talking about what will 
hit recruiters, their staff, and in particular business owners, in their pocket. Um, it, it's due diligence, Alison. Mm. You know, it's like like we as a financier have to conduct due diligence on on our prospects and the agencies that we look to fund. Um, an agency engaging with with a, a client and a contractor should conduct their own due diligence. You know, get your terms checked. Have you got terms? If you have, when did you last change them? It, it's housekeeping, isn't it? Like you yeah. said, when you work with a client, you want to ensure that they're credit worthy and that they can be that they can be funded. Um, you want to ensure that you've got your PO so that you can invoice. Otherwise, you can't invoice without a PO. Therefore, the funder can't fund your invoice. Therefore, the contractor won't get paid. Mm. Um, and then, if there is a dispute, and there always will be disputes, even with contract recruitment, which you know contradicts what I've said about how robust that timesheet audit trail becomes, there will always be disputes. Mm. Um, and especially, albeit you wouldn't expect it from a household name, but if you're dealing with clients that aren't as familiar um, and maybe aren't as credit worthy, then definitely ensure that that, that your contracts completely back you up and that there's that the liability isn't with you and that they can't avoid payments clearly if your contractor doesn't do the hours that they were meant to work they're not going to pay mm. but if they do you need to be belt and braces thanks now in the dream scenario um a recruiter starts a business builds successfully grows the business and at some point many of the business owners that i know intend to leave the business and realise their investment in it and hopefully make a, a great deal of money. In my experience, at least, a lot of business owners underestimate how much preparation is required for a successful exit, particularly if they're going to achieve the kind of multiples that they want. Um, and in, to time that so that the economic environment is right as well, so that there's lots of buyers around, so that the multiples are high and um, that they they can show you know three years of of consistent growth. Um, so when an opportunity comes along, it makes sense for a business owner to make sure that their business is already ship shape. Um, from a finance perspective, what do do you think, Nick, that different types of buyers look for when they acquire a recruitment business? So. The boring things from a finance perspective. So, what are their debtor days like, for example? Mm-hmm. Now, they may be conducting their credit control in house, or they may be, um, they might have a third party like Sonabate doing it. Um, but how quick does that debt turn in relation to their to their terms? Obviously, mm. if everybody paid on 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 terms, then we wouldn't be in existence, would we? And what's a good number? Um, <laughs> It's difficult because, as I say, some people might be on 14-day terms and get paid on 28 days. People Typical is obviously 30. Is it um, date of invoice or end of month? Some people are on up to 90 days. So, I mean, for example, Sonovate across over a 1,000 agencies, our, our debt turn as an average is 41. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got some people who pay are paid on 20 days and some people who are paid on 80 days. So there's clearly a cross-section there. Um, but having efficient debt turn is good. The funder's happy, and obviously you're happy. What are your dilutions like? You know, are you raising lots and lots of credit notes? If so, why? On on contract, we said about compliance with contracts and and people not paying for. So just to wind back on that point, when you say are you raising lots and lots of credit notes, what would be a lot in say percentage terms? Again, there's no right or wrong, but. You'd want it under 5%, ideally, you know, a kind of 
nice place to be would be well would be as low as possible you know but it's never going to be zero but one two three percent um most funders would accept that under five is is okay but Two, two or three is what we normally look for. Right. Now, obviously, is there a blend of perm in there as well? Because perm is obviously um, governed by rebate. So a rebate is going to be, if they don't offer a free replacement, mm-hmm. will affect the credit note dilutions. But we would take a stance on what a true credit note is versus a credit and re-invoice. For example, you invoice for £100,000, but you forget to put the expenses on. So you then credit 100,000 and you raise one for 106,000 with the expenses. Mm. That's not a true credit note, that's a credit and re-invoice and we would take a view on that. Um, a true credit is where it's not it's not paid mm. because there's a problem with it. I'm with you. Okay. Um, so financiers would, would want to see efficient debt turn, low dilutions and a strong management team as well. Um, I think for any event, and it, and it is the, the word that, that, that turns recruitment owners on, whether that's an, an MBO, management buyout, a BIMBO, buy-in management or buy-out as well, um, together, or clearly a, a trade sale or, or private equity, um, that they're buying into the management team, aren't they? Because typically some of the directors um, who are in the business every day will, will be tied in um, and will have covenants and, and probably milestones to hit. Mm. But the up-and-coming management team, senior team, that's probably the future of the business, isn't it? Mm. So they'll want to look at how, how they perform and how financially astute they are. Are, are. are they? Do they have the ability to read a set of management accounts? Do they understand, you know, how, how it works? Do they, you know, are they treating the, the invoice finances as, as debt or are they treating it as an asset, for example? So mm-hmm. I think people being financially astute as they come through the businesses is really important as well so to what extent does do funding organizations like Sonovay actually make that assessment of a management team well we, we deal with with the fds the fcs um and the operational uh, stakeholders in, in the business and clearly we send them financial information based on their on their ledger mm. and clearly we want financial information from them to check that they're adhering to they're up to date with their VAT and their PAYE for example mm-hmm. um, the solvency of the business so looking at their management accounts their bank statements um, it, it's their money so we're not concerned what, what you're spending it on we just want to ensure that you've got money to spend if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, that you're doing the right things within the business but we want to have a, a good working relationship with the, the, the ops team in a business um, because we're funding it we're doing the credit control you know we are a an extension of your business Mm. yeah um just uh anecdotally some of the business owners that i speak to who are perhaps a fair way from a trade sale or some partial sale or or, um, an mbo but i think they they perhaps underestimate the centrality of finance to any kind of acquisition or investment because that's the only reason that anyone else will buy a business is because to make more profit yeah. yeah they don't buy them as hobbies they don't buy them because they uh love the industry or because um they're you know they find a market sexy they buy them to make profit don't they and therefore having that what you described that level of financial literacy amongst the the leadership team is is critical isn't it yeah absolutely um a lot of the reasons why the bigger agencies use us is that additional 10 percent funding 
when you're getting into the realms of ledgers that are, you know, one and a half, two, three, four million pounds, what can an additional 10% do for you? You know, it's, it's an additional 150, 200, 300, 400,000 pounds of yeah. cash into the business. Now, how, how are you going to get the highest multiple for your, for your company? And there's, there's, there's lots of discussion around this, but your, your EBIT needs to be as high as possible, doesn't it? Mm. So you're going to have to grow your business as high as possible and scale it to get the, the EBIT up. And it's obviously different depending on what sector you're in. Um, a lot of people in the who advise in the IT and professional services sectors say you need a minimum EBIT of, of two million. I don't per se um, agree with that, but they're saying to get anything north of six as a multiple. Mm-hmm. In the in the uh, industrial blue collar world, you often see a lot of um, trade sales happening for a lot smaller companies with with low EBITs. Mm, but I think that having the the working capital to to scale as fast as possible, you know, if we're leveraging another three or four hundred thousand pounds into your business, how many more people can you employ? How many more offices can you open up? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what else can you bring to the business with that cash to grow as fast as possible? So just to be clear about about that point that you're making, that what you're saying is that because your company Sonovate actually allows people to draw down 100% of their invoice values. Yes. Uh, that could be a, a really sensible switch for some businesses rather than just drawing down, say, 85% or something like that. Absolutely. So typically on a contract side, you get 85, 90. On perm, people will do anything between 60 and 90. Mm-hmm. Son of eight do 100% on contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the factors that, if you just take that perm invoicing um, finance scenario, you say people will do anything between 60 and 90%. Yeah. Why would what are the factors that influence that? Again, go it, it's it's credit note dilution, so mm-hmm. it's rebates. Who who are you placing on perm? Are you placing CEOs, mm-hmm. you know, who are unlikely to walk out within three months? They probably have a six month rebate on a CEO, but or are you um, placing lower skilled um, employees who are volatile and, and and are renowned for high staff turnover and will walk out? Mm-hmm. Therefore. Are the rebates prevalent and are they exercised, or will your debtors and clients accept a free replacement? But then, how easy is it to actually you find actually the free replacement? That, so that then um, means that people don't pay for the invoices, which generates a credit note. If your credit notes are really high on your perm side, mm. you're not going to get a ninety percent drawdown. Mm. If they're low, you might, but it depends on different funders' appetites. A, a, a similar thing to the financing side: what's your funding cap? So you might have a debtor book of, of two and a half million, but your funding cap is only two and a half million. So that means you can't draw more than two and a half million down. So once your debtor book um, goes in excess of two and a half million pounds, it's irrelevant what your prepayment percentage is because you can only have two and a half million pounds. Mm-hmm. Your ledger could be three, it could be three and a half. Mm-hmm. So I think having a funder that can, can scale your your leveraging of cash with your growth i.e you can support your growth is very very important if you're looking for an event because the only way you're going to get an event is by is by growing really yeah and like you say the, the, the investors or the the companies that come in to buy you want to know that that scale and growth will continue right so good example there um you say the only way you're going to sell is by growth um and anybody looking to acquire or invest in a company can easily spot the signs of someone who's who's pumped up their EBIT by simply 
massively stripping back costs for one year, can't they? Yeah. It's really, really easy to see. But um, again, some obviously they might be brilliant salespeople, but um, I've talked with uh, directors of recruitment businesses who really underestimate the process of due diligence. And they think that because an interested party hasn't asked them about the terms they've got or the, the breakdown of their contractors or, um, for example, the um, their payment terms, they think they can just talk their way around it <laughs> and talk to them instead about their sexy brand and what they're doing in terms of candidate attraction. Um, it is unavoidable, isn't it? And nobody wants to buy or invest in a company that has got problems down the line that will need clearing up. No, internal processes, um, the logistics of how the company functions, like you say, the contracts, the, 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 the terms, the management team. When a trade sale or an MBO happens, they really, really want to get under the bonnet of these companies mm. and they'll probably tell the owners things that they're not aware of because the owners have probably not taken their eye off the ball, but they haven't been engaged in that part of the business. As you know, Alison, when when somebody takes the leap of faith and they set up on their own, they actually quite enjoy it because they see every aspect of the business and they're doing everything, aren't they? Mm. As obviously they grow, they, they deploy that to stakeholders in the business to run those functions and they, they view the business from the board packs that they get, don't they? Or the, the you know the monthly reviews with their with their senior managers, etc. But they might not be actually aware of what is going on um, within the business until somebody gets under the bonnet um, and says, like we said before, do you realise that you haven't got any terms signed with your, your top debtor? Mm. You know, which, which, which could be fatal to the business. Um, actually, that brings me rather neatly to my next question, Nick, which is um, when there's a lot going on in a business and a, a business owner can't touch all of it physically, it does leave them potentially vulnerable to fraud. So that fraud can come from different directions, can't it? It can come, possibly worst case scenario, from whoever's actually in charge of your finance internally, probably got an FC or even an FD by then. Um, it can come at a smaller level from consultants themselves, um, knowingly putting through fraudulent placements. And of course, it can come from external scams as well. What, in, in general terms, what's your advice to recruitment business owners about protecting themselves from fraud? I think it's, again, it's doing your own frontline due diligence. So the people that have hands-on control in your business, that are raising invoices, that are receiving funds, that are dealing with your bank account, it's obvious, but do, do you trust these people? Um, why would you allow, obviously consultants put their placements on their CRM, but we know of agencies where the consultants raise the invoices. How easy is it for a consultant to raise an invoice, put their billings on the board, ring the bell, get paid their commission early because they're factoring perm, for example. Mm. Another reason why people factor perm is so they can pay out commission quickly. And the invoice is completely fictitious and, mm. and, it, and it doesn't even exist. You know, it and sometimes, you know, the sales managers actually create that scenario, don't they, well, by the pressure they put on people. Desperate people do desperate things, mm. and that's and that's when it happens. Invoice finance, you know, is is um, not renowned, but is is exposed to to fraud. Um, people can raise fictitious invoices very easy. People can set up. Um, companies within hours can't they you know check check who your clients are that you're working with check that your contractors are actually contractors you know 
mobile phones, everybody uses mobile phone now, but check, is there a landline, you know, maybe not go as far to go to the premises, but just do everything you can in your power to find out that everything within the, the process of invoicing stacks up, um, you know, on the smaller side, when, when recruitment companies set up, you asked about due diligence on another podcast we did with the with the agency, you know, we want to, to meet these people, you know, you want to get your KYC, know, know your customer, um, don't just accept a mobile phone number. Um, check where these people reside. Um, it's the same with, with, with bigger recruitment agencies. Ensure that the people who are um, overlooking and managing your, your invoicing, your cash, you know, which is everything to the recruitment business, is, is people that you trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And um, there's obviously reported in the recruitment trade press occasionally there are scams. Uh, from people posing as contractors and clients who magically happen to match up. Yeah. Um, they then slap in a timesheet and they, it's paid and then there's no client to invoice. Have you ever come across that with any Sonovate? Yeah, um, not not with, with Sonovate, but um, I, I've known with other funders, it's a carousel fraud, so they pay their own debts, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they will get um, off-the-shelf companies set up that are very very similar to the client you think you're dealing with i.e recruitment leadership limited somebody sets up recruitment leadership brackets uk limited you might not notice the difference um the 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 contractor presents identification which is which is bogus um and you haven't checked them out you haven't um checked that their their id versus their proof of address correlates and they are who they say they are because people want to get a deal done, don't they, Alison? People want to mm-hmm. get their contractors out, signed mm-hmm. up and, and you know and receive their commission. In the meantime, where it gets scary is the the fictitious contractor works for the fictitious client and the fictitious client pays its debts. Mm-hmm. And then they place another fictitious contractor. So it's a carousel. So it grows to a point whereby it's worth then committing the crime of, of not paying. Um, i.e. you get to 20, 25 contractors out, for example, mm. and, and you're getting signed timesheets and the debt's being paid. Mm. And, and, you know, lo and behold, the debts are getting paid quickly. You know, that's even sometimes a telltale sign. Why are these people paying dead on 30 days? No one pays dead on 30 days. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So d- due diligence, check all the time. These scams do happen. And with technology now, people, you know, these are professional fraudsters. They, they, they know what they're doing. They're targeting companies who may be um don't put as much emphasis on 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 their compliance for example which is a word we've used a lot today mm-hmm. um it, it does happen be wary make sure that that you know who you're dealing with on both your contractor and client side mm, okay so we often say to recruiters just concentrate on on making the money out. but as a as a responsible business owner um uh, what I think I would like to say to owners of businesses is, is quite simply understand what goes on in your finance department um, and if it can't be explained to you ask more questions um, because you know failure to accrue for you know things like PAYE and so on can lead you into a horrendous situation and um, relying on things that haven't been a problem so far isn't going to be good enough if you want to sell your business is it? Yeah, to, like we say, to, to sell your business, often you want to scale quickly. So what what are people looking for? So often they're looking for a nice blend of contract versus perm, both on turnover, mm-hmm. um, well, more so on turnover, 
um, and the, the NFI. Um, it, it's different per sector and per company, but certainly as a turnover, you want contract and perma. What's your um, kind of international footprint? Are you are you exporting? That's a tick in the box. Even more so, what we're seeing more and more companies doing now. Have you got foreign subsidiaries? So you've got a global presence. This all costs. This all costs money. It's all fast pace, and it's all top top headline decisions that the stakeholders are making. But in the meantime, they don't go back to basics and, and just check that Beryl and Doris's accounts are doing what they should be doing. Mm. Um, you know, and that the, the business is is as a going concern. Um, working and, and, and trading professionally and and in the means that you would have wanted it to have traded 10 years ago because obviously we've set up in 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 the states or in berlin or or in mm -hmm. amsterdam it, you know it, it's sexy stuff you want to get it on linkedin you want to tell that you know the, the recruitment bodies and networks don't you mm. but you also need to sometimes come back down to earth and like you say what do you mean we haven't paid our vat for two quarters and we're on a payment plan kind of thing mm. um always check back and, and and kind of be um, humble that whilst you are growing at a rapid pace and, and without doubt it will increase the, the value and the chance of the business being bought, you just want to make sure that the the core values are being adhered to yeah. in the business. So a you know a thorough look at your accounts and ev every month for a business that, that is thinking about a sale is really key, isn't it? Okay. Um, so sometimes as they, you know, the possibility of a sale or investment becomes more real, business owners want to look at swapping their financing arrangements. What are the signs that they should do that, do you think? Obviously, if they're receiving a poor service, then like, like any product that you buy, you then look to market, don't you, if you're not getting a good service. But I think really in line with with the fast pace of recruitment if your funder can't provide what you need so even if their service is fantastic but they can't provide what you need i.e the leveraging of as, of as much funds as the business requires i think that's a time that maybe you, you should you should look to somebody who can um, address your needs and can inject the amount of working capital that you need to not just continue to trade but continue to to grow as well mm -hmm. Invoice finance and, and funders in general are moving on. You know, Sonovate being an, an example. You know, we 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 operate operate in a, in a very modern, technology driven way now. Um, decisions can be made, and it's not the computer saying yes or no. There are real people behind, obviously, the the, the product, absolutely. But you, you don't need to be using archaic systems um, you need to be using a product that that will just allow you to be flexible um, and then maybe offers different um, options to the business so not just finance but how can technology um, improve the business can can we as the financier tell you about your business can we do analytics for you can we work with your contractors and, and provide mechanisms for them um, ie that the contractor doesn't have to draw down potentially so there's different ways mm -hmm. in which the financier can can help you. I think, I think the main thing is if you're not getting the amount of cash you need, um, then you're not getting the service you need, are you? Right. Okay. And you mentioned there about if the service is poor, but there are some issues that are driven by the recruitment business themselves that mean that the financier can't give them a good service. What? Just to quick revisit what those are. Yeah. I mean, 
have have you got a well diluted ledger? You know, everybody wants as many clients as, as possible. Um, but obviously, if you're working with a particular client and they're going to give you a lot of work, you're not going to turn it down. A lot of financiers though won't won't like that. It's called a concentration level. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want all your or you know all your eggs in one basket or the majority of them in one basket. So that could prohibit your funding. Um, where where you're working, if you're placing abroad, to what level can you do that? The general funding line cap that we discussed about it, with that being capped as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like the direction of your business potentially. You're not. Some funders have really kind of strong covenants in how the business should be performing from a bottom line perspective, covenants on the net worth, etc. You know, quite prohibitive. And and sometimes to grow, you do have to take a hit on your financials. You know, because you are investing your money. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had that much money, you wouldn't be using a funding partner, would you? So I, I think if you're getting bogged down by your funders' requirements, um, you should question it. But on the converse, if the agency themselves is creating problems, then you need to speak to your funder and say, listen, I don't want to be talking to you all the time. What, what do we have to do here to have a manageable working relationship? What information do you need to satisfy your requirements? Um, but if it becomes too onerous, then you should, you should seek alternative funding. Okay. And how hard is that to swap? Yeah, good question. It, it's not hard, you know. I, I'm I'm obviously going to say that. Um, you know, I've uh, moved a lot of recruitment agencies away from their incumbent. It isn't difficult. It's a process that's around negotiation, obviously, due diligence, sanctioning, and then actually agreeing a a a date, a line in the sand, where you pay off the incumbent funder and you move across to your new funder. But what I would definitely um, advise is that you don't want to be doing it all the time because it then becomes a hassle for your clients because then you're continuously telling your clients to pay a different bank account basically right which to you and I doesn't seem that difficult no. but to them it's getting... slightly different processes templates and yeah and getting people to pay in general can be difficult never mind if you tell them to, you know because then they start paying the old finance company instead mm. of the new finance company so mm. I think, again, with regards to the larger agencies, you know, who have got international DNA, who are growing, who need a funder with deep pockets, all the things that Sonnabate can, can help with, um, and ensure that when you do move, you're not going to be moving again in 12 months, because that then does become a hassle for you. And a time suck, really. Yeah. And, and, and like we said before, it's the word funding partner. You want the, 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 the funder to be an extension of your business, you know, to, to help you, not restrict you. So it, it's, it's, it, it's done all the time. People do move invoice finance companies regularly. Um, and, you know, they, they are regulated by, by um, conducts that they have to abide to as well. So mm-hmm. it's basically a series of letters that are sent between the two funders until you get to the transition date. Right. But you don't want to move over and over again. Definitely not. No, a bit like moving your personal bank account, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, Nick, thank you very much for your input on this episode. Um, Nick is the Commercial Sales Director of Sonovate, which I notice uh, the UK's fastest growing fintech and um, the 12th fastest growing private British business. So um, for anyone who's listening, I hope you found Nick's insights um, valuable. If you're affected or think you may be in the future affected by any of the issues that we've discussed, Um, please do get directly in touch with Nick. Um, And finance is just one aspect of um, the advice that um, recruitment leadership gives to growing recruitment businesses. 
Um, so if you'd like advice on any wider issues, please contact me directly, Alison Humphreys of Recruitment Leadership. This podcast has been produced by Generation Nexus. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership and Sonovate, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you.